from Transport Topics in Washington, D.C. This is Road Signs. And now here's your host, Michael Fries. Thank you for listening to Road Signs, a podcast series from Transport Topics that explores the trends and technologies that are shaping the future of trucking. For this special episode, we'll take a look at equipment maintenance, but more specifically, trailer efficiency. As the industry works to minimize greenhouse gas emissions, we often focus on how the tractors are affected. However, the trailers also play a part in energy efficiency. Although the federal courts ruled that trailer manufacturers are not mandated to follow greenhouse gas regulations, that doesn't mean that they're ignoring them. In fact, it's been a primary focus. So in this episode, we'll ask, how are fleets and manufacturers handling equipment maintenance and trailer efficiency? To answer that question, we'll speak with Taki Darakis, Vice President of Vehicle Maintenance and Fleet for Pitt, Ohio. But first, we'll hear from Dustin Smith, Chief Strategy Officer at Wabash National. Road Signs spoke with both men as part of Transport Topics magazine event series, Engage. Here are the interviews. Welcome to the show, Dustin. Thank you, Mike. Happy to be here. Glad to have you on. Glad to have you on. As I mentioned before, with the federal courts ruling, it doesn't that doesn't necessarily require, I mean, that's not saying that manufacturers are neglecting energy efficiency. So I just want to ask you before we get into, we get into things, um, you know, how has Wabash um, approached trailer efficiency more organically versus having to do it via mandate? Sure, Mike. Yeah. I mean, thanks again. It's an honor to be able to contribute to the conversation today. And you're, you're absolutely correct. You know, the federal court's ruling on greenhouse gas, or at least phase two, it, that ruling did not alter Wabash's strategy in any way whatsoever. At Wabash, our focus has always been on efficiency. And I would say certainly well before uh, sustainability or the word sustainability really became inserted inside of you know, most companies' strategies over the last couple of years. And I think due to investments that we've been making uh, over the years in terms of R&D resources, both in-house, capital investments, and even partnering with really some, some brilliant technology firms, Wabash enjoys providing, for example, the lightest standard dry van in the market. And our plans reflect, we only intend to really extend that leadership position across the very large first to final mile product portfolio that we have. So I share in that context because light weighting has really been a substantial focus of ours across all of our products, providing lighter products for our customers to haul freight on the road. We have a lot of other technologies underway to greatly improve energy conservation as it relates to cold chain or refrigerated products. So the technology we have that we're launching in our refrigerated product lines is so thermally superior that we actually envision a zero emission reefer someday uh, going down the road. And it's only possible because the thermal efficiency that we can provide our customers. And to your question, Wabash has invested in all of these types of solutions because they make our customers more successful not necessarily because of a mandate that forced us to. You know, one of the things you touched upon, Dustin, and I've been reading a lot and I'm, most, and I'm mostly certain that uh, the industry is reading a lot about is just that thermal efficiency that you were touching upon and just the, the work with uh, reefers and uh, refrigerated trailers and, and as such. Um, it, I, I, I understand that, you know, there's a lot of R&D that goes into that and, and as well as the other things you're doing concerning trailer efficiency. Um, 
what type of areas have you seen the greatest and most promising savings in? And, and what type of feedback have you received from, from your customers? Sure. Yeah, great question, Mike. Um, you know, it kind of makes me think about the whole adage of, you know, you're ultimately judged, but through the eyes of your customer, right? So no matter what you offer the marketplace, you might think it's the greatest technology or the greatest benefits or features um, you've ever set your, your eyes on. But if the customers don't believe, don't think so, they don't agree with you, uh, you find yourself out of business. You know, I think, I think Wabash has really been trying to attack on three fronts. And the three fronts we tend to find ourselves coming back to is weight, thermal efficiency, and asset life. And if we think about all three of those together, uh, obviously, if you're only thinking about dry freight, then thermal efficiency may not be all that interesting to you. But we, we think of those three together, um, regardless of the product line we're focusing on improving. And when you substantially improve all three of these together, you fundamentally start changing the operating model and even the business model for your customers. So I want to try to you know, bring that to life a little bit and give you an example. Anytime you can provide a quick and immediate operating cost benefit, you get your customer's attention. Save some fuel, haul a little more freight. Those are always good things. The customers appreciate that clearly. But I believe what can separate yourself from the herd is when you really focus on a system level, at a system level, how you can generate a real mean shift in value creation for your customer. And I'd say for us, when we focus on weight of the product, the thermal efficiency of the product and its asset life, or maybe durability might be a little, you know, so a simpler way of thinking about it. The more durable the product often leads to a better asset life. Those three things have been our common voice of the customer elements for quite some time. But to my attack it on a system level comment, we've been working to generate solutions that work together to solve all three of those at once. They actually work together or build off of each other to provide a lighter weight, more thermally efficient uh, solution that has ultimately a longer asset life itself. And if you can couple all those together like that with the ultimate end game of providing solutions that have sustainably longer asset lives compared to the next best alternative, when you do that, you provide your customers the option of either A, extending their life cycle, their trading uh, life cycle, or they can simply run their equipment longer and generate higher residual values, all while enjoying a lower operating cost environment. So that's really been Wabash's focus. And I think that's important because sometimes it takes a little bit more time to get that entire value proposition out into the customer's hands um, versus, you know, I'll save you a pound here. I'll save you a gallon of fuel there. Th those are great things. But if you can really try to couple all this together and provide your customer a product that will run 10 years instead of seven and a half, that fundamentally changes uh, the, the business model for everybody. You know, Dustin, you, you touched upon just the, the, the buying in from the, the customer and and the, the, the first two uh, with the, the, the weight and the, the thermal efficiency. Uh, I would believe that really hits home with those customers that that deal in that. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that all of your customers deal in that in that weight capacity uh, aspect of things. Um, you know, it, it, has it been hard getting that, that, that buy-in? I mean, I wouldn't say hard, but just sort of, if, if you could explain the challenges of, of, of getting that, that buy-in uh, of, of, you know, promoting energy and savings, you know, uh, versus, you know, having that a pound here, you know, uh, a gallon here savings. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think, like you said, it, it hard's probably not the right phrase, right? But, but it's, but it's, 
I think it's 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 in it's in how you provide that benefit to the customer where they become interested. So if I can save uh, you know the customer a hundred pounds through a pretty simple or conventional solution, then that's not hard at all to to explain. Um, the the confidence level is very high, and you know the translation or the value benefit gets translated kind of depending on the customer's you know um, let's say application. If you go to solve that problem through a substantially different type of solution or a different type of technology, and in our case, um, in refrigerated front, how we've been working for, I guess now going on going on eight years, what we have been referring to as our molded structural composites technology that goes into our refrigerated trailers that we just rebranded as EcoNext. That solution is so different than everything that people are used to in terms of how the product is designed, the technology behind it, and everything else. You know, there's a little bit of a trust but verify element that goes into that. And and I think Wabash enjoys having a high quality brand with a high trust factor um, that allows us to continue pursuing solutions like this. But again, when you're really going through, I mentioned earlier, that mean shift improvement and value proposition, not just this slow iterative solution where every year I might get a couple pounds or a couple percentages better. But you know, when you pursue technology that's 20, 25% better than the next best alternative, that often requires breakthrough change. And oftentimes breakthrough change is not met with such open arms and confidence because, you know, this is, these are our customers, you know, money and hard earned funds that they need to figure out where to invest. So that, that solution takes time and it takes testing and it takes a lot of back and forth with the customer to continue getting them more and more familiar with technology like that. And at the end of the day, it's, I think, just it's simply, even though we're a B2B type of an industry, it's still a lot of people to people type conversations where you really want your customers and your suppliers to be along the ride, along the ride, along the journey with you. And uh, that obviously increases the comfort level as you work together to solve these problems that are really in a really big way. From time to time, an issue commands so much of the industry's attention that it requires a deeper dive, a resource readers can turn to, a transport topic special report. We're turning our attention to another big issue, electrification and the key factors that will drive this industry trend. In every case, we're working to provide our readers with information, analysis, and clarity on key issues confronting fleets. One comprehensive resource packed with insights that can give you the edge. Transport Topics invites you to learn more about our special reports. To reserve your copy of the latest special report, visit ttn.ws forward slash electrification. You know, with uh, you just mentioning just being a B2B company and, and you're dealing in the, the industry that you're dealing in, it still comes down to, to, to people. And, and I guess we can we can talk about this for <laughs> for, for quite a quite some time, but I want to, I want to switch gears, Dustin, to one of the problems that uh, that's affecting all industries, no matter where you're at, and that's the uh, supply chain bottleneck. Um, so uh, just as a manufacturer, you know, one of your main concerns, uh, I, I would figure would be that that bottleneck situation that, I mean, that, that your company is dealing with, like any other company. So um, you know, what are your efforts? Uh, you know, where are your efforts concerning that? How are you mitigating that issue? Uh, well, Mike, I think 
uh, first I'll be humble enough to not try to claim that we've, you know, cracked the code on this or, you know, we were, we had the golden ticket that we'll unveil to the world today. Uh, you know, this, it's been a really hard, you know, 12 to 18 months in that regards. And, and, um, and yeah, I mean, I think Wabash has done some pretty interesting things that, that we had, we had done well before the, you know, the pandemic and working through them. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a challenge uh, nonetheless, and um, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, or, or even if you're in a service-based company, obviously, versus a product-based industry. I've I've used the phrase: it doesn't matter what you want or when you want it. Um, you're you're likely going to wait longer than you desire, and when you finally get it, you're probably going to pay more than you want, right? And that's kind of in the world we've been living in. All of us as consumers and business leaders for the last twelve months or so. I think you know I think about the whole supply chain event, and I've read as many articles as you have on all of it. Uh, a couple things stick out to me that I think universally we've learned over this last, let's say, again, 18 months or so. And, and the first one that comes to mind, and again, I'm not going to tell you anything original. I've, I've read it all myself, too. It's that whole concept of just-in-time inventory versus just-in-case inventory, right? So now people are starting to use JIT versus JIC. And naturally, now you win if you have inventory just-in-case, right? And I think as you think through that, you know, super efficient, lean inventory is amazing until it is no, until it isn't right. Until it doesn't work. And that's what we've all found ourselves in, um, you know, since let's say the end late 2020, as the world quickly turned back on all the way through today. And, and when everyone is on JIT or when, when the whole world basically operates on just in time inventory, and we all experience the same massive hiccup, it takes a really long time to get healthy. I think it's as simple as that. And how different businesses now, as we reflect, right, as different businesses model the benefits of ultra lean inventory, which does a lot of things for people, right? It's it's a waste eliminator. It, it, it reduces your working capital, all these really important things that businesses focus on to, to operate efficiently. They have to weigh that benefit, perhaps with some level of contingency inventory and and weighing that back and forth is for each business to decide. I don't think any of us can ever plan effectively for a global pandemic, right? So I think no one, they're lying to you if they said they had the playbook, right? That they pulled off the shelf. But we all as business leaders should tr strive to kind of learn from any events that we all go through and try to say, well, you know, how, how can we improve the business moving forward? And I think that's where now if you were to count the amount of buzzwords being used, you know, you hear a lot of things about resiliency, right? Supply chain resiliency or resilient supply chains. No one talked about that three years ago, right? Um, they talked about lean and, and ultra efficient inventory and low working capital. So I think we can all reflect upon that to some extent. I do believe one thing that Wabash uh, has done that has helped us mitigate through a lot of this. And again, mitigates also a relative phrase. It just means suffered perhaps less than someone else, right? Because we have we have truly worked through this. But it was a decision that Wabash made years ago, um, probably I'm thinking now, you know, probably five years ago or longer, where we really began a reshoring process of a lot of our supply chain, reshoring back to North America. And we enjoy very strong supplier relationships. Um, we, we do try to continue lengthening our strategic relationships with our supply base. And the great majority of our supply comes from North America. 
So again, without trying to overcomplicate anything, I think we can all, it didn't insulate us perfectly, but I think we can all agree that, you know, an, an, an example I use is the shorter the garden hose is, the quicker it fills back up with water, right? And our our supply chain on purpose has been shortened as we reshort a lot of our supply base. And uh, perhaps that has us a, just a, a smidge ahead of the others in that regards. I think the other aspect, I think you hit people-wise, um, when I think about supply chain, right, it's what's right in front of you is, you know, the parts you may not have to get started. But I think the other thing we've learned here inside Wabash is, you know, it may sound cliche, but people are everything. And, you know, with the exception of a few special causes, and an example of a special cause might be like the, the winter storm in Texas last February that shut down a lot of the oil and gas and everything just, you know, went went dark and came back on later. With the exception of some of those special causes, most of our supply chain woes all led to one common cause. We were all trying to hire people at the same time. And that became the biggest and the quickest ramp up in, in any of our histories. And this industry is a cyclical industry. I've been in it for 15 years, so I, I know what it looks like. And this was been this was one of the steepest ramp ups we've ever seen. It's hard to solve the same problem when you're all trying to solve it the same way. So when we're all trying to hire more and more people, and we've all learned that people are not an infinite resource. Uh, people are very finite. And how we manage people uh, had us, I think, more than ever reflecting in our conference rooms about how we focus on retention for the long term. It's easy to go out and hire hundreds of people it's not so easy hiring less people because you're a treading out less, right? And that was really a lot of the conversations I think we found ourselves reflecting upon inside our own four walls, which is the better you are at retaining your talented workforce, um, perhaps the easier that next ramp up can be in the future. Oh, yeah. One of the things um, that you know, you've been touching upon with, with, is that people aspect. And and uh, we can definitely talk about that. And I, but I think that would be a, a, another episode that we'll have to uh, dedicate toward. Um, Dustin, before before I, I get you out of here, um, you know, I want to touch upon some of the things that we, we, we talked about, uh, you know, that being trailer innov- uh, innovation. And, uh, you know, we, we touched upon just reefer innovations and, you know, and we, you can, we can discuss electrification as well. Uh, but just kind of you know, having an eye toward the future, uh, where do you see the trailer market in the next five to 10 years? And uh, wh- where are the pain points and uh, where are their encouraging signs? Sure. I think, again, I, I just, just mentioned I've, I've been part of the industry now for 15 years. And I think what's like, very exciting right now is I do believe the next 10 years will be you know, more exciting than the last 20. And I think I think we're we're getting into a world that maybe... Which which did you know predates me, but you know going back to kind of the deregulation era of, of our trucking industry was a very very exciting time, and I think I think we're approaching a similar decade where there's just going to be so much happening all at once. Um, it's going to be a special time to be part of it as a as a business leader in our industry. You know, at Wabash we have a purpose of changing how the world reaches you, and we believe that at Wabash, and I think. At the core of that for us, for the next, you mentioned five to 10 years, I think sustainability and ESG are things that are here to stay. I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon. And I think that's a good thing. You know, so we're focused on really bringing some of the most sustainable solutions to our customers in the industries we serve over that five to 10 year period. Um, When you think about some of the things, you know, try to predict in the future, kind of as you're asking, I think, I think electrification 
absolutely is coming. Um, I think autonomy is coming as well. Um, I think electrification will be here um, well before autonomous uh, trucking is here. So I think electrification is coming faster than a lot of us want to believe as well. So I think that's the biggest thing. If I were to fast forward five to 10 years, I think we'll look back and be just amazed at how quickly uh, uh, such an industry so large and, and even fragmented as ours is, will have this massive push towards electrification. I think it'll start in the smaller classes and work its way up. So I think it'll start in the class, you know, two, three, four, and it'll work its way up as battery technology and battery range all continues to improve. And I think what's important for us as trailer and, and other type of OEMs is this is not a problem just for the tractor guys to solve. I think it's easy for a lot of us. And maybe even a few years ago, we thought, well, you know, electrification's on the tractor guys, uh, us trailer and truck body and, you know, other manufacturers don't have to worry about it. Don't believe that's the case. Uh, we have to continue understanding what this will do to the industry and how we help our customers solve those problems. And I think that kind of plays into the, the other thing that's on my mind about the future is, the pace of change is faster than any of us want us any of us want to admit to. The pace of change is so drastic now. That's why I think it's such an exciting time to be part of this industry. You know, we must break our norms and go faster. For Wallbash, that means often go find it rather than make it. And and I use that in a technology sense. If we want to go farther and faster. Sometimes you have to go outside your own four walls and seek out the technology, find somebody to partner with um, that has that technology so you can incorporate it into your business solution in order to help your customers move further and move faster. And I think that's the, we're in such an incredibly nimble uh, marketplace right now with advancements in e-commerce. I think home delivery, the final mile, these will all be things we have to try to figure out. There is no optimal solution set yet for final mile. Uh, if you buy your groceries online and have them delivered to your home, how do they arrive there, right? Is it an employee driving their Toyota Camry to your driveway still? And would you dare venture that that's the optimal solution 10 years from now? I, I don't think it is, right? So um, it's such an exciting time. We have to keep listening to our customers. Our customers are having to put up with this shifting dynamic. And uh, the quicker we are trying to get a seat with them and really understand their problems almost as quickly as they do, so we can work to find solutions for them, I think is what will make uh, ultimately allow Wabash to live its purpose, which again is to change how the world reaches you. We've been speaking with Dustin Smith. Chief Strategy Officer of Wabash National. Dustin, it was a pleasure having you on this very special episode of Road Signs and Engage. Uh, thank you for your very uh, unique perspective on trailer efficiency, and uh, we'll love to have you on Road Signs in the future. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate the time. Take care. In times like these, it's crucial to stay informed. Transport Topics is offering all the information you need to make business decisions in these unprecedented times. And in the wake of the many event cancellations and group gatherings, TT ensures a virtual way to consume business content and conversation. To join the conversation and stay ahead of the news, follow Transport Topics on all social outlets or by visiting ttn.ws forward slash stay informed. For our next guest on Road Signs, we have Taki Therakis. 
Vice President, Vehicle Maintenance and Fleet Services for Pitt, Ohio. Welcome to the show, Taki. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Glad to have you on. Um, we've been discussing trailer efficiency in this episode, and we have a we had the trailer manufacturer's perspective of things, um, and we're here to get the fleet uh, perspective from from you. And uh, my first question, I just uh, you, you know, uh, trailer manufacturers, you know, they're they're dealing in energy efficiency, and it's also a partnership. With, with the fleets. Uh, for your work at Pitt, Ohio, could you just describe your work with OEM partners when it comes to uh, just efficiency, when it comes to you know, things like monitoring, uh, monitoring idling and, and tire and air pressure? So we're really, we're, we're very early on in, in, in this. Uh, we actually just went through and, and retrofit our fleet over the last six and a half months with telematics. And uh, we're in the, the crawl, walk, run type of uh, approach from a project standpoint. Uh, we retrofitted our entire trailer fleet and have started to see benefits in terms of having visibility of where our assets are. And then we're also piloting some technology to look at um, internal temperatures as well as uh, um, cargo, cargo sensing type of technology. On the idling side, we primarily look at that um, from a power standpoint. So our, all of our trucks and tractors are outfitted with uh, ELDs and, and we monitor that through our telematics provider and uh, work closely with uh, the operations team to kind of uh, keep idling down as, as, as low as we can uh, from an operations standpoint, Mike. Well, you, you had mentioned the crawl, walk and run approach to things. And, and so, I mean, I, I imagine that you, you you had very positive success. I mean, what are some of the, the, the hurdles involved? I mean, since you were saying it was a you know, crawl, walk, and run, I mean, what, what are some of the hurdles that you have to uh, get from from crawling to ultimately running? <laughs> well, I think the first part, I mean, just, just to go back and uh, work through, there, there's a lot of telematics providers in the space from a uh, trailer tracking technology standpoint. So, you know, understanding who those players are and the pros and cons and having them come in and meet with our team, which included, you know, representatives from operations and maintenance and IT, um, it took some time. So to walk through that whole procurement process, sourcing process, um, to get to the point where we we got the units on hand that we made an actual decision to move with a technology partner and, and move forward, that took a little bit of time. And then I would say, uh, you know, within Pitt, Ohio, we, we do a lot of uh, what we what we do in terms of maintaining the fleet. We will use our own internal um, maintenance team. So we have a, a team of about 120 technicians um, spread throughout our network. And, you know, rather than outsourcing, and outsourcing was an option, we chose to to do the retrofit of the technology in-house. Um, so we had, to, we had to balance that with uh, all of the regular demands of keeping the equipment up and operational, as well as the, the bringing this new technology into the, into the fold. And then I think, you know, as we got further along from a project standpoint and we had more um, telematics installed and more density in the fleet, uh, beginning to leverage the, the, the canned reports uh, that were available, uh, as well as uh, working through some c- 
customization that could help us in our operation was really important. So I think that's that's where we've been. We just recently wrapped this up about um, three weeks ago. So it's, it's really, really fresh. And um, in terms of the other add-on technology pieces that we could incorporate in our fleet, Right now, it's a, it's an understand what all these other pieces can give us. And, you know, you hit on a couple points in terms of the uh, air pressures. Um, really important as an LTL fleet, uh, we go into into some customer yards that aren't the friendliest for, for tires. So, um, you know, it, it has always been a, a challenge and a, and, and a, and a work in progress in keeping those those issues to a minimum. What we've done is we've incorporated um, pressure monitoring into our trailers, so they come outfitted with uh, uh, all of our builds over the last three years have incorporated technology that will keep the air um, pressure up in those tires till the units get home, unless there's a big gaping hole. Um, and then we've also uh, made a real strong concerted effort from a, a maintenance team to make sure that we are making air pressure checks uh, with calibrated air gauges part of everything that we do. I, I do think the future would be to uh, um, take advantage of the telematics, the sensors that can be added on to automate some of this. Um, we're just not there yet. Our, our biggest focus was let's let's really get a good grasp on where our equipment is, make sure that we're maintaining it, and then we're going to start to layer in some of this other technology as we move forward. Hopefully that helps. Well, hopefully hopefully it does. I, I, I know you probably, I mean, you, you have a, a lot of work on your hands considering you know, the tire uh, monitoring systems with TPMS and ATIS, uh, especially with with, um, tra- with trailer efficiency. I mean, there's that's a lot to take care of, and that's probably a, a big bulk of, uh, of, of that, that task when you consider the, the um you know, the trailer um, capacity and, and, and the weight that's involved when, when carrying, um, you know, carrying those big loads. Um, one, uh, one of the things also, uh, Taki, that I wanted to, to, to talk about as well, and just kind of overall, it's just, you know, the, your, your fleet maintenance, uh, your fleet maintenance management style, um, you know, just kind of um, in your position at, at Pitt, Ohio, what are some of those issues concerning fleet maintenance that kind of keeps you up at night? <laughs> I think having the people, uh, having the right people in place. We're, we're an organization, Mike, that I would say is uh, in a way a little bit of old school maintenance. I mean, we do still run equipment out to uh, tractors a million miles plus and straight trucks may you know have four, 450,000 miles on them when we pull them out of service. So with that comes uh, uh, a lot more need for uh knowledgeable technicians at the floor level. So, you know, you can have a, you have to have those, those people in place that really know how to do the, um, the repairs right and uh, can help kind of bring those folks uh, around them, uh, raise them up and bring them along as well. I think, I think it's a, it's an interesting place in time because there's such a rapid acceleration of technology that, uh, puts more and more pressure on on the maintenance organizations to keep up. I mean, we're a, a very soft safety conscious organization, so we're outfitted with all the collision mitigation and lane departure and outward facing cameras, and th- that's all great to invest in the technology. But if you 
if you're not maintaining it and making sure that it's working, um, you're really de- defeating the investment, the purpose of, of what you were trying to accomplish in the first place. So I think it starts with people. Um, you know, we, we, we believe strongly, you know, we're, we're always there for you as our, our moniker for uh, Pitt, Ohio. And I think it, it really does start with our technicians and our drivers and our dock workers. So um, finding those, those good folks that are going to grow with you and progress, that, that's probably my number one thing that keeps me up at night. You know, you know Taki, uh, the, the way you had, you had uh, described that answer, it was just kind of a, a symphony of, of technology and, and people. And I kind of want to uh, split those, split these next two questions up. Uh, just this first one, just being about the, the concentrating on the people part of it, and, and it's just the the. And you had mentioned the tech, uh, the technicians uh, as well. And you know, as as you know, there's been a, quite a struggle you know, for for all industry. I mean, for everyone in the industry to get uh, the the right qualified technician into the fold. So, I mean, knowing that, you know, what's your philosophy toward toward building a, a work cultural that that brings in the not only brings in the right technicians, but but motivates them to, to to keep them there and and be a part of Pitt, Ohio. I think that's a good that's a good question, Mike. I would say that we have a, a strong culture where uh, there are many folks that you know we're a forty two year old company and we still have uh, people that are forty one years and thirty five years and thirty years and twenty years with us. I think the challenge is as those folks turn the page and they start to retire. Um, is 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 backfilling. You know, they they understood what it took to get to this point. So maintaining that culture and that drive and that focus, um, it's got to be instilled in the next generation. Um, re- recently, it took about two years. Um, uh, we just recently started a a high school Votech apprentice program. Um, so we've partnered with a couple uh, uh, high school technical programs to bring folks in and have them. Uh, work side by side with our technicians in our shops. And, you know, I think that's part of the future. And I say part because it's not going to fill all of our needs. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think we can, you know, as, as fleets nationwide, I don't think we can count on stealing technicians away from each other. And we have to start to shift the mindset and, and, and help folks view the industry. I, you know, I would say uh, I was a, 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 an example of this. I mean, 21 years ago, I had folks say, why would you get into trucking and transportation? And, you know, you, you have so many other options and um, it's been a really fulfilling career. So whether somebody wants to stay on the floor and continue to work as a technician and get involved in um, the latest and greatest technology, it could be battery electric vehicles or autonomous vehicles. um, That's one thing, but if they also have plans to maybe one day get off of the floor and, grow into other roles within the organization. It's very real and very possible here at, at Pitt, Ohio. And I have a number of folks on my management team that um, they started out um, uh, 25 and 30 years ago, um, turning wrenches and uh, making the trucks and the tractors and the trailers go. And, you know, when, when they weren't busy doing services, they were delivering freight. And, uh, and now they're in roles where they really uh, impact the organization at a higher level. But I, I would say the last piece is just giving everyone a voice. So when we spec equipment, when we change things from a maintenance um, plan direction, we will we will include our, our lead technicians. Uh, we'll have dialogue with our techs to make sure that we're 
really not missing anything so that, you know, they're, they're included in the dialogue. You know, you were just mentioning, uh, you know, just uh, having employees at one stage at the fleet turning wrenches. But, you know, as you know, we're now in an age where the, the, the turning of a wrench is now the, the, the press of a button on the, on the tablet for, you know, <laughs> for, you know, for some, the, to, to, um, to acquire data that that's going on into under the hood. So um, just kind of leading into that, you know, um, you know, wh- how do you use uh, technology in, in your management software to, to, uh, um, to regulate that your, your tech shop, the, the, the tech shops, um, more effect, more efficient. Yeah, that's that's a good question, and and I would say it's like data overrun uh, from a fleet perspective these days. But um, over the last three years, we've been working on um, uh, improving how we look at data and what data do we go after. So we have a, a gentleman on my group that's more of a data scientist, and he manages our our maintenance software database, but he also does a lot of uh, reporting and extracting of information. Um, so he's he's come a long way in terms of how to manipulate the data. And uh, he was not a on the floor turn turn wrenches type of person. So he's been he's a longtime Pitt, Pitt Ohio employee, but he's learned on the fly in terms of uh, what's important, what the team needs to look at, how they want to look at it. And then we've also gotten really engaged with our OEM partners. So we've pulled in a lot of the remote diagnostics. Uh, we've set up some APIs so where the information comes into a portal, we can kind of digest it, we can understand it. Uh, we've built uh, a little bit of support for our, our maintenance uh, team in terms of a couple technical advisors that um, they came off the floor. They're very uh, current in terms of uh, the fleet challenges and the issues, but they're working closely with our uh OEM maintenance uh, service partners to identify real needs and issues. So you've got the you've got the data coming in. Uh, we're using analytical tools to kind of break it down into digestible bytes that we can actually act on. And then we've got our our tech team that is helping our shops and maintenance uh, workforce uh, uh, correct the problems and fix the issues. So you know, in a perfect world, I would like to say we. We know that a problem is going to happen before it happens. We're not quite there yet, um, but we're a lot further ahead than we we have been in recent times. Well, if you can predict the future, then uh, then your your job will be very rewardful. So so there there you have it. Uh, so I mean you I mean in explaining in the, in you know the the acquirement of the the data that you receive when when you when your technicians are, are under the hood, you know they they they, they detect the problem. And then, you know, it's time to, you know, repair that problem or, or, or just do regular maintenance to, to, to some of the, to some of the tractors. And, and that requires getting parts. And you know, as you know, in, in not just this industry, but, but every industry has been going through uh, some sort of supply chain shortage. And, uh, and um, I don't think it would be any different in, in, um, in your office when you're, when, when you're dealing with those types of things. Um, I mean, but if you are, I mean, are you in, are you encountering any challenges related to procuring uh, aftermarket parts? And, and if so, uh, what what have you done? What are the steps you have taken to uh, to try to solve those problems? Uh, we've had a lot of challenges, Mike. I mean, twenty twenty one was not for the the faint of heart when it came to um, parts parts acquisition and keeping the fleet rolling. I mean, we we've been very blessed with um, having a good 
uh, trickle of new equipment coming in on a steady basis that could help uh, uh, keep specific locations up and operating. If I mean, we've had some trucks uh, and tractors that maybe have been waiting on a part two to three months. If I were a small carrier and I didn't have a flow of new equipment coming in, that would make things really, really difficult because, you know, it's hard to find uh, rental equipment. Um, 2022 is going to be really challenging for uh, new build slots. And, you know, many of the many of the OEs have put fleets on allocation because they just can't service everybody with all of their needs. Um, we've increased our inventory. So from a part standpoint, uh, we've probably increased uh, 20 to 25% in terms of the value of the inventory. And that's to smooth out um, the bumps and the issues that we've come into. We also did some pre, pre-buying. pre So in this economy, we've seen like a rapid escalation of uh, certain parts uh, where we've kind of, we've got some warehousing space and we've pre-bought maybe six months or nine months of inventory to hold fast on pricing and to level things out. So i very fortunate. I have a team of uh, uh, eight folks that um, their whole mission is to make sure that our shops and technicians have the right parts at the right time at the right price to put on the equipment. They've done a good job. It's not perfect, uh, but we've done a good job of weathering 2021. But I would say we were just in a shop meeting earlier today and and our parts supervisor, parts manager, Jason, was was in on the meeting. And I said, you know, are things getting better or worse? And I said, it's not getting any better right now, Taki. So um, we're just we're we're making do with what we have and uh, trying to be resourceful. We're we're probably buying parts from um, suppliers that we really never leveraged or used before. But um, it's important in this environment. I mean, do you feel, I mean, you're just saying you're, you're dealing with suppliers that you have never dealt before. I mean, would you, would you think that that would be a situation where you could, you could probably expand those particular relationships where, um, during a regular time that, that you weren't able to, to have those relationships? I mean, do you think there's some type of, uh, you know, uh, I guess business benefit to, to, um, having those new relationships? I, I think there's absolutely a, a benefit to it. I think it, it has opened our eyes up to some, some secondary suppliers. Um, I would say we realized how, how important those primary relationships were. And if you were a, maybe a fleet or a buyer that really jumped from one supplier to the next based solely on price, um, this was the environment that would hurt you because um, the the at least the the partners that we're working with uh, they will go out of their way to to supply us. We've been longstanding customers, and um, they will jump through great hoops to to help us and and keep us whole and keep us right. I think if I were if I were kind of a, a here today gone tomorrow type of uh, uh, partner. I'm not sure that they would have been over to the, you know, to, to the, that level or that, that level of degree to, to support us or help us. I mean, I know we, we're a big organization and I feel sometimes we have a, a target on our back as far as Pitt, Ohio. They're, you know, they're, they're a good source of revenue. And, um, but but I, I think this year has showed how important those relationships and, and being in sync and having regular dialogue with your suppliers is to being successful. Yeah, you guys are, are a big a big carrier in, in, in this country. You're, you're part of our you know, top 100 for hire for, uh, for our um, 
for our top 100 list. So <laughs> you guys are up there. Um, you, uh, Taki, before we let you go, I just want to ask you one last question. Um, I'm going to ask you to put your analyst hat on. So um, here we go. <laughs> you know, um, where do you envision fleet maintenance and, and the repair segment of the industry for commercial trucks within the, the five to 10 years? Or what, what do you see that's coming? Do, do you see any hurdles or, or even any encouraging signs? I, I think there's a lot of good signs. One, I would say I've, I've been, I've been, uh, um, my team has been really excited to see, uh, like with our Votech Apprentice program, just a new generation of folks coming into the industry. And I think there may have been some uh, um, some labeling in terms of, hey, that generation is not really, they're not willing to kind of get themselves dirty. And I think uh, we see that that's not really the case. It's it's kind of a... a, a, a uh, a label. Um, I think that the challenge is going to be how how quickly the technology is accelerating, and just the um, the amount of folks in our space that are in the maintenance space that are um, re- retiring and leaving the industry. I think there's, you know, there there can be some challenges in terms of knowledge gaps to keep things moving. Uh, you do not make a a good technician or a good maintenance manager overnight and uh it does take time and i i think that's that's probably one of the things that's going to be a i mean there's many things but that's one of them that's that's going to be a challenge today i mean you can do really well as a technician on the floor and you can probably get as many hours as you want and that used to be the the feeder for folks to come into the maintenance management world and um you know people are less inclined to want to take a uh after hours call or um, to sometimes have death by email. Um, so, you know, many folks would just rather work on equipment and, you know, the, the I'll take care of the truck or the trailer and, and move on and I don't have to deal with the other parts of it. But um, it's going to be a very dynamic time. I mean, when you talk about electrification, when you talk about autonomous vehicles, uh, um, I think the landscape has the potential to be really different from from what we know today. We've been speaking with Taki Darakis, Vice President of Vehicle Maintenance and Fleet Services for Pitt, Ohio. And Taki, I understand with the with the, the alarms and the alerts that have been going off during this interview, I understand you're a very busy man in the Pitt, Ohio offices, so we'll leave you to do your work. Thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you so much, Mike. Did you know you can ask Alexa to open Transport Topics? In just one minute, you will hear the biggest trucking headlines of that day. Be prepared and start your morning off right with Transport Topics. Before we close, let's take a moment to revisit our original question. How are fleets and manufacturers handling equipment maintenance and trailer efficiency? As we heard from our guests, staying efficient is vital to success. Plus, following an organic process towards safer emission levels keeps their companies engaged with their customer base while becoming greener throughout the process. The one connecting factor, however, is the issue that has complicated all efforts between many industries, and that's the supply chain. This ongoing problem that reared its ugly head in the past year continues to be a thorn in the side of manufacturers and trucking companies. Getting parts from point A to point B has been a challenge, but for fleet maintenance shops, that problem has been exacerbated by a technician shortage that's short on new talent and the lack of experienced workers. Fortunately, the path toward a solution involves communication along every fleet and manufacturer's supply lines. 
However, this problem persists. Watch this space. If you enjoyed this episode of Road Signs, please let others know. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If my questions have sparked questions of your own, share them with the Road Signs team or reach me on Twitter at Michael V. Freeze. You can email us at share at ttnews.com. We'll read them and respond daily. And of course, we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of Road Signs. Until then, I'm Michael Freeze. Thank you for listening. 